Ezekiel chapter 20. We're going to read verses 45 through 49, and we're going to continue right on into chapter 21, all the way to verse 13. All right, Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 45 through 21, 13. It says, And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face toward the south land, preach against the south, and prophesy against the forest land in the Negeb. Say to the forest of the Negeb, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will kindle a fire in you, and it shall devour every green tree in you and every dry tree. The blazing flame shall not be quenched, and all faces from south to north shall be scorched by it. All flesh shall see that I, the Lord, have kindled it. It shall not be quenched. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, they are saying of me, Is he not a maker of parables? The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face toward Jerusalem and preach against the sanctuaries. Prophesy against the land of Israel and say to the land of Israel, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am against you and will draw my sword from its sheath and will cut off from you both righteous and wicked. Because I will cut off from you both righteous and wicked, therefore my sword shall be drawn from its sheath against all flesh from south to north. And all flesh shall know that I am the Lord. I have drawn my sword from its sheath. It shall not be sheathed again. As for you, son of man, groan with breaking heart and bitter grief, groan before their eyes. And when they say to you, why do you groan? You shall say, because of the news that is coming. Every heart will melt and all hands will be feeble. Every spirit will faint and all knees will be weak as water. Behold, it is coming and it will be fulfilled, declares the Lord God. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy, and say, Thus says the Lord, say, A sword, a sword is sharpened and also polished, sharpened for slaughter, polished to flash like lightning. Or shall we rejoice, you who have despised the rod, my son, with everything of wood? So the sword is given to be polished, that it may be grasped in the hand. It is sharpened and polished, to be given into the hand of the slayer. Cry out and wail, Son of man, for it is against my people. It is against the, all the princes of Israel. They are delivered over to the sword with my people. Strike therefore upon your thigh, for it will not, for it will not, sorry, for it will not be a testing. What could it do if you despise the rod, declares the Lord God. Now, in the verses that we're going to pick up with next time we get together, that where I just stopped at, Ezekiel's going to come back to prophesying about the very near destruction of Israel through the Babylonian attack in the future verses. But these verses that we have here, the end of chapter 20 and into chapter 21, remember when Ezekiel wrote this, there weren't chapters. This is all together. And in the verses we're looking at here, we see that he's speaking about God's final judgment at the end of the tribulation period. If you remember the last time we were together, we looked at how the prophecy was talking about at the tribulation, the, during the tribulation period and how God says, I will be king over you with an outstretched hand and with, with wrath, I'm going to pour it out. I'm going to be king over Israel, and he's going to be king. And we talked about the tribulation period last time we were together. Well, we're going to continue over into that a little bit some more tonight, because these verses here, and I'm going to show you from the passage, there are some word clues in these verses that show us that even though the Babylonian destruction is still coming at the time period that Ezekiel is speaking, he's not talking about the Babylonian destruction that's coming with Nebuchadnezzar in 586. He's actually talking about the last of the last days and the tribulation period. And you'll see in just a second, there are some word clues here that show us that. So let's take a look at one of the word clues. Now, the first one is not as clear in some translations. Here in the ESV, if you see it, verse 45, it says, The word of the Lord came to me, chapter 20, verse 45, Son of man, set your face toward the south land and preach against the south. Preach against the forest land in the, in the Negev. 
Now, some of your translations may not say preach against the South. What do they say preach against? Teman. I think that's excellent. That's an excellent translation of what the word in the Hebrew is talking about. As you're going to see as we put this all together, I'm just going to give you a brief summar summarization. In the area south of Jerusalem, south of Ju Judah, was also called the Negev. We'll get to more of that in more detail later on tonight. But it's also the area of Edom and Basra, and we know a lot of things are going to happen in those at the end of the last days there in that area. And he says, I want you to prophesy against that area, Teman, and the area of the Southland and the forests of the Negev. That whole area, which is, well, you know, we've heard of Petra. You know where Petra is. We've heard, a lot of us heard of Petra. That's down in that area as well. That area of the Negev, the Southland, is what we now know as it's southeast of J Jerusalem. It's a part of the southwestern part of Jordan right now in today's geography. But at that time, it was a very important part of what had happened in Israel's history, which you'll see tonight. And he's told to preach against that land, that area, because God is about to bring judgment on that area. So like you pointed out, and some of you have said, your translations say preach against Teman. In order to understand this more, we need to find out who's Teman. So go with me to Genesis chapter 36. In Genesis chapter 36, look at verses 6 through 11, and then verses 40 through 43. Genesis 36, verse 6. It says, Then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the members of his household, his livestock, all his beasts, and all his property that he had acquired in the land of Canaan. He went into a land away from his brother Jacob, for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. The land of their sojournings could not support them because of their livestock. So Esau settled in the hill country of Seir, and then you see in parentheses, Ed Esau is who? Is Edom. That's going to be important because you're going to see Edom mentioned a lot tonight. These are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites, in the hill country of Seir. These are the names of Esau's sons, Eliphaz, the son of Ada, the wife of Esau, Ruel, the son of Basemath, the wife of Esau. The sons of Eliphaz were Teman, Omar, Zepho, Gatam, and Kenaz. So now we know that Teman is a descendant of who? Esau, which was Jacob's brother. As you know, Jacob became Israel. Esau is his brother, a descendant of Esau, which we know now as their descendants of the Edomites, is Teman. So Teman is a descendant of Esau. Go to chapter 36, verses 40 through 43. These are the names of the chiefs of Esau. According to their clans and their dwelling places, by their names, the chiefs of Timnah, Alva, Jetha, Aholabama, Elah, Pinon, Kenaz, Teman, Mizbar, Mibzar, and Magdiel, and Iram. These are the chiefs of Edom, that is Esau, the father of Edom, according to their dwelling places in the land of their possession. So we see now very clearly that Teman is a descendant of Esau, and he is one of the Edomites, if you will. The descendants of Esau are called the Edomites. And they lived in the area of Mount Seir, as we've seen. The southern area, that's where Esau went to live. South of the area of what we know as Israel and Jerusalem. In the south, south, southeast of that, over by the, just beyond the Dead Sea, that's where the Edomites lived. Now, many Old Testament prophets, prophets foretold about the future judgment of Edom. As we're going to go into a study of this tonight, I want you to understand, as I started to dig into this, 
it blew my mind as to how many prophets talked about the future judgment of Edom. I'm only going to give you a small sampling, but I'm going to tell you now, some of you might find this small sampling too much. So have a pen and paper and try to stay with me. Let's go to the book that we all have read this morning, the book of Amos. All right, let's go to the book of Amos. Okay, maybe we don't even know where Amos is, let alone read it this morning. Book of Amos. We're going to be in chapter 1. Look at verses 11 and 12. Verse, chapter 1 of Amos, verses 11 and 12. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Edom, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because he pursued his brother with the sword, and cast off all pity, and his anchor tore perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. So I will send a fire upon Teman, and it shall devour the strongholds of Basra. Now you remember, we read earlier just tonight in Ezekiel chapter 20, that God told Ezekiel to prophesy against Teman, the south land, and the forests there, because God was going to send a scorching fire that was going to, all flesh would be affected by it, and all flesh would see the judgment. And here we see Amos, many, many, many years prior to this, prophesying that God, because of the Edomites' sin, he was not going to withhold his judgment, and he was going to send a fire in Basra and in that area. But according to what he says here, can anybody tell me what something they did as to why he was going to judge them? Which we'll get into more detail a little bit later tonight. But can you see in this passage? Because he did what? He pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity and his anger tore perpetually and he kept his wrath forever. Keep that in mind as we go a little bit further tonight. You're going to see in a little bit why God is upset. Go to Obadiah. You're in Amos. Just turn over to Obadiah. Look at verses, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. It says, The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly destroyed or despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves come to you, if plunderers came by night, how, have, how you have been destroyed, would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, how would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasure sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. So here again, we see an Old Testament prophet. Obadiah, by the way, was one of the earliest prophets. He actually, too, God through him prophesied that there was a day of judgment coming on Edom and the Edomites because of their sin. Go to Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 49. Look at verses 7 through 22. Jeremiah chapter 49, verse 7, it says, Concerning Edom, thus says the Lord of hosts, 
Is wisdom no more in Teman? Has counsel perished from the prudent? Has their wisdom vanished? Flee, turn back, dwell in the depths, O inhabitants of Dedan. For I will bring the calamity of Esau upon him, the time when I punish him. If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? If thieves came by night, would they not destroy only enough for themselves? Does that sound familiar? It's word for word what God was saying through Obadiah. But I have stripped Esau bare. I have uncovered his hiding places, and he is not able to conceal himself. His children are destroyed, and his brothers and his neighbors, and he is no more. Leave you, you, your fatherless children. I will keep them alive, and let your widows trust in me. For thus says the Lord, if those who did not deserve to drink the cup must drink it, will you go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished, but you must drink. For I have sworn by myself, declares the Lord, that Basra shall become a horror, a taunt, a waste, and a curse, and all her cities shall be perpetual wastes. I have heard a message from the Lord, and an envoy has been sent among the nations. Gather yourselves together and come against her and rise up for battle. For behold, I will make you small among the nations, despised among mankind. The horror you inspire has deceived you, and the pride of your heart, you who live in the clefts of the rock, you who hold the height of the hill. Though you make your nest as high as the eagles, I will bring you down from there, declares the Lord. Edom shall become a horror. Everyone who passes by it will be horrified and will hiss because of all its disasters. As when Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring cities were overthrown, says the Lord, no man shall dwell there, no man shall sojourn in her. Behold, like a lion coming up from the jungle of the Jordan against a perennial pasture, I will suddenly make him run away from her, and I will appoint over her whomever I choose. For who is like me? Who will summon me? What shepherd can stand before me? Therefore hear the plan that the Lord has made against Edom, and the purposes that he has formed against the inhabitants of Teman. Even the little ones of the flock shall be dragged away. Surely their folds shall be appalled at their fate. At the sound of their fall, the earth shall tremble. The sound of their cry shall be heard at the Red Sea. Behold, one shall mount up and fly swiftly like an eagle and spread his wings against Basra. And the heart of the warriors of Edom shall be in that day like the heart of a woman in her birth pains. Again, another prophecy, this time through Jeremiah, saying that God is one day going to bring a judgment on Edom. Go back to Ezekiel. Look at chapter 25. Ezekiel chapter 25, look at verses 12 through 14. Ezekiel chapter 25, starting in verse 12. Thus says the Lord God, because Edom acted revengefully against the house of Judah and has grievously offended in taking vengeance upon them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will stretch out my hand against Edom and cut off from it man and beast, and I will make it desolate. From Teman even to Dedan shall they fall by the sword, and I will lay my vengeance upon Edom by the hand of my people Israel, and they shall do in Edom according to my anger and according to my wrath, and they shall know my vengeance, declares the Lord God." All right, now we see a little bit more. Whom is God going to use when he brings part of the judgment on Edom? His people Israel. Keep that in mind. Go to Isaiah chapter 34. And like I said, as I read to you all these passages, I could read to you probably 10 more. This will be the last one for a little bit. Ezekiel 34. Did I say, sorry, Isaiah, thank you. Someone was listening. Appreciate it. Was that Miles over there paying attention? You get a point, Miles. Good for you. Someone take Miles' name off the board. He doesn't have detention anymore. Ezekiel 34. Look at verses 1 through 10. 
Did I say it Ezekiel again? Thank you. Isaiah. Hey, I got cancer. Give me a break. All right. Isaiah 34. By the way, I've been milking it. My kids are like, you're going to milk this? You're going to milk? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to milk it for anything I can get here. We're playing cards. I'm like, I said, I got cancer. You got to let me win. Then, uh, Isaiah 34, verses 1 through 10. Draw near, O nations, to hear, and give attention, O peoples. Let the earth hear, and all that fills it, the world, and all that comes from it. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations, and furious against all their host. And He has devoted them to destruction. He has given them over for slaughter. Their slain shall be cast out, and the stench of their corpses shall rise. The mountains shall flow with their blood, and all the host of heaven shall rot away. And the skies roll up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall, and as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves from the falling fig tree. By the way, does anybody know what time this is going to be happening, this prophecy is going to be fulfilled? At the end of the tribulation period. This is very clear that we see this in, in Revelation and so on. For my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. Behold, it descends for judgment upon Edom, upon the people I have devoted to destruction. The Lord has a sword. It is sated with blood. It is gorged with fat, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of kidney and the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra, a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Wild oxen shall fall with them, and the young steers with the mighty bulls. Their land shall drink its fill of blood, and their soil shall be gorged with fat. For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. And the streams of Edom shall be turned into pitch, and her soil into sulfur. Her land shall become burning pitch. Night and day it shall not be quenched. Its smoke shall go up forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. Has this happened yet? No, it hasn't. But the scripture is very, very clear that a judgment is coming upon Edom. Now, that's one of the first word clues that we saw back in Ezekiel, that that prophecy wasn't about what was happening right then, but was to be about future time, because the judgment on Teman, or the south land of the Negev, and how it was going to be, God was going to send a scorching fire upon the land that would never be quenched. There's a second word clue back in Ezekiel. Go back to Ezekiel chapter 20 and look at verses 47 through 48. Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 47 through 48. Say to the forest of the Negev, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will kindle a fire in you, and it shall devour every green tree in you and every dry tree. The blazing flame shall not be quenched, and all faces from south to north shall be scorched by it, and all flesh shall see that I, the Lord, have kindled it. It shall not be quenched. Do you see it? So this must be a prophecy that is yet to happen because this has not happened yet. Oh, there's been judgment on the Edomites. There are some prophecy people that say, well, there aren't any Edomites anymore. Well, I'm not so sure that that's the case, but definitely they've been decimated. There's not a whole lot of people living in that area, as, as we know, uh, from, Ed from Edom and all that kind of stuff. But we do know this much, as we've already seen in our study, that during the, end, the midpoint of the tribulation period, the Jews who escape Israel are going to run to the area of Edom and Basra and be protected by God for three and a half years in that area. I think this judgment on Edom is going to be coinciding with all that going on. But by the end of it, there's going to be a judgment on the, not just the people, but the land of Edom, so that God sends a scorch there so that it is ultimately destroyed and everyone sees it and the fire won't be quenched, never to be rebuilt again, and no one will dwell there ever again. Well, if the Israelites are going to dwell there for three and a half years, that still is yet to happen. The prophecy that he's giving them is for another time. Now, also, 
Well, God is, a third word clue back in Ezekiel is in chapter 21, verses 1 through 5, that while God is bringing His final judgment on Edom, He'll at the same time be purifying His people Israel in the process. Go back to 21 of Ezekiel, look at verses 1 through 5. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face toward Jerusalem, and preach against the sanctuaries. Prophesy against the land of Israel, and say to the land of Israel, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I'm against you, and will draw my sword from its sheath, and will cut off from you both righteous and wicked. Because I will cut off from you both righteous and wicked, therefore my sword shall be drawn from its sheath against all flesh from south to north, and all flesh shall know that I am the Lord. I have drawn my sword from its sheath. And look what it says. It shall not be sheathed again. This is the final judgment. When he brings his judgment, he's at the same time as he's dealing with Edom, he's also going to be purifying the people of Israel, removing them from the land for a time. And then who gets to come back into the land? Only the righteous that get to live during the millennial kingdom at the end of the tribulation period. Now, this also has to be, in my mind, referring to the last days. Because we see in another prophecy that Ezekiel is going to speak in the future, and I'm going to take you there in just a second, that Ezekiel is going to speak of how God's going to sheathe his sword in judging the Ammonites. Go, go to Ezekiel chapter uh, 21, look at verses 28 through 30. In Ezekiel 21, verses 28 through 30, it says, And you, son of man, prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord God concerning the Ammonites, and concerning their reproach, say, A sword, a sword is drawn for the slaughter. It is polished to consume and to flash like lightning, while they see for you false visions, while they divine, while they divine lies for you, to place you on the necks of the profane wicked, whose day has come, the time of their final punishment. Return it to its sheath. In the place where you were created in the land of your origin, I will judge you. So here when he's talking about the future judgment of the Ammonites, there'll come a point where he puts the short sword back in his sheath against the Ammonites. Now, if you remember, and if not, that's okay. We've looked at a lot of prophecies. Go back to Jeremiah 49, where we picked up tonight in talking about Edom. I'm going to read just the verses right prior to that in chapter 49, verses 1 through 6, in the prophecy from Jeremiah against Ammon and the Ammonites. It says, concerning the Ammonites, thus says the Lord, has Israel no sons? Has he no heir? Why then has Milcom dispossessed Gad and his people settled in its cities? Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will cause the battle cry to be heard against Rabbath, Rabbah of the Ammonites. It shall become a desolate mound. Its villages shall be burned with fire and Israel shall dispossess those who dispossessed him, says the Lord. Wail, O Heshbon, for Ai is laid waste. Cry out, O daughters of Rabbah. Put, a, put on sackcloth, sackcloth, lament and run to and fro among the hedges. For Milcom shall go into exile with his priests and his officials. Why do you boast of your valleys, O faithless daughter, who trusted in her treasure, saying, Who will come against me? Behold, I will bring terror upon you, declares the Lord God of hosts, from all who are around you, and you shall be driven out, every man straight before him, with none to gather the fugitives. But afterward... I will restore the fortunes of the Ammonites, declares the Lord. So even though he judges them, after he's done judging them, he puts his sword back in his sheath, the judgment's over, and he restores them at the end of the tribulation period for the millennial kingdom. The Ammonites get restored, those who survive. Then we see the judgment. You see in your Bibles, verse 7 and following, the judgment on Edom, which we've already read. And if you keep reading, does he ever say that the judgment on Edom will be over at a certain point and then they'll be restored? No, we've already read. He's going to bring the sword against Edom, and he won't sheathe it. There'll be a final full judgment on them. Now, exactly. 
He comes out of Edom covered in blood. Exactly. And that's Isaiah 63 is what you're quoting from. Which again, we didn't have time to get into that one as well. But you're right. But there's also another word clue here in Ezekiel chapter 20. Look at verse 49. Now this one's not as clear, and this one might be a Jim Johnson interpretation, but I think I'm kind of right on this. And you can try to tell me I'm not, but I think I'm kind of right. Another word clue in here in these verses shows that this prophecy was not for right then, but most likely future, and that's Ezekiel's response to it. After Ezekiel gets this word from God to preach toward the south land, he's just to prophesy to the south, to the area of Edom, and against the trees. What is Ezekiel's response when he, when, he, when he hears this from God? He says in verse 49, Then I said, Ah, Lord God, they are saying of me, is he not a maker of parables? In other words, Ezekiel appears to not quite understand the prophecy himself. And he's worried that if the cryptic nature of this prophecy will make him look bad in the eyes of the Israelites who already mock him. In other words, I think that Ezekiel himself doesn't fully understand this prophecy at the time. And as you know from the scriptures, there were many times that God would speak prophecies through them that they themselves didn't fully understand. Daniel, many times, after getting the prophecy and speaking it, says, how will this be? How is this going to happen? Well, we see in 1 Peter that the scripture says that the prophets searched intently, trying to find out what time the spirit of the prophets inside the Spirit of Christ in them was prophesying when he talked about the time of Christ and the glories that we follow. They were told it's not going to happen in your lifetime, but they were curious about it. They didn't fully understand it. But I think as much as you've been with us in Ezekiel's study that he's been talking to the exiles in Babylon about the coming of Nebuchadnezzar and the judgment, he speaks it like he understands it and it's clear and he sees what God's shown him. Yet now he's told to go preach toward these trees in the south. And he says, um, God, they're already saying that I'm a maker of parables. In other words, you want me to preach something to them that I don't even understand? And you think they're going to get it? And I think that's a further evidence of what's going on here is not really tied to the exact time period right around when he's going, but it's a prophecy about the future when you put all these Old Testament prophecies together. L let me remind you of what I'm talking about. Go to Jeremiah chapter 30 and look at verse 24. Jeremiah chapter 30, look at verse 24. This is in a prophecy of God through Jeremiah about the future and how he's going to restore the fortunes of Judah and tents of Jacob. And in verse 24, he says, The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intentions of his mind. In the latter days, you will understand this. So in other words, it's not to be understood until when? The latter days. With that in mind, stick with me here. I don't even know how fully the prophecies we've read tonight are going to be played out when it comes to the final destruction of Edom. There's people out there that say that it's already been done because there's so few Edomites, if there are any left in the land, the prophecies about the destruction of the Edomites has already been fulfilled, and all these prophecies are already done. I don't see that. Especially since, <coughs> excuse me, if you look closely at the prophecies, you'll see that there's two types. One, the prophecy is talking about the judgment of the people of Edom. And there's also prophecies about the prophecy of the judgment of the, on the land of Edom. And there's, there's a distinction. I think personally, there's going to be a twofold judgment on Edom. The people and then the land. See, because the land still has to be there, not destroyed, so the Israelites can be protected during that time. But in the process of them being brought out, there's going to be a judgment on that land. Now, at the same time, even Jim Johnson doesn't understand how it's all going to play, be played, played out 
we're getting more and more understanding the closer and closer we get. There are some that actually can take Psalm 83 and the prophecy in Psalm 83 and tie it together with these other prophecies we've read tonight that say that there's going to be some type of war prior to the tribulation period in which Edomites and the area of Jordan and all those nations around Israel are going to be judged. It's very clear in Isaiah 17 and Psalm 83 that there are nations right on the border of Israel, Syria, Jordan, Lebanon, those nations, the prophecies in Isaiah 17 and Psalm 83 are very clear that there is a war that's going to occur and the immediate border of Israel enemies will be judged in some way where they will be decimated and no more. And then when you get to Ezekiel 38 and 39, which I think we will sometime around 2019, but when we get to Ezekiel 38 and 39, and you see the, story, the battle of Gog and Magog, and you look at the armies that are gathered together there in Gog and Magog to come against Israel, and none of the border nations that are their enemies right now, none of them are mentioned. Isn't that interesting? That there'd be this conglomeration of nations coming to attack Israel, and the ones that are all right now their enemies on the border aren't even listed in that group? There are some, and I lean in that direction, that think that there's going to be a judgment and the war of Psalm 83 and Isaiah 17 will happen prior to the tribulation period, setting the stage for the nations further away to come in. Because remember, the Bible says in Ezekiel 38 and 39, when the Gog and Magog battle happens, Israel's going to be living at peace with unwalled borders. So there's a strong possibility that a lot of these prophecies that we've been reading tonight on the Edomites are going to happen just prior to the tribulation period. Preparing the way for the final fulfillment at the end of the tribulation period when God just lays that whole area a waste. Be careful of trying to make it all figured out and make sense, but don't let that keep you from studying it and getting it in your heart because all of a sudden, one day, it will become clear. One thing is this. Isaiah 17 says that the city of Damascus, by the way, by the way which is the longest continually inhabited city in the history of the world. In the whole history of the planet Earth, there has been no one city that has been continually inhabited any longer than the city of Damascus, Syria. But Isaiah chapter 17 says that at some point, in the evening it'll be there, in the morning it will be gone, never to be inhabited again. Now, when all this stuff started happening with Syria and Israel and Russia and Iran, we're all paying close attention. I don't know how it's all going to play out. We could sit around and speculate and guess. But I know this much. In the latter days, we will understand, and we're getting close. Yes, ma'am. Jim, when I hear about the third year, mm -hmm. and I study it, I always think it's our section. Again, by the way, for those who can't, I've been taught to repeat the question because even though the microphone picks up, not, not everybody can hear. Marie's question is when Revelation talks about the third of the earth being destroyed and so on, she thinks that it's just our section. To be honest with you, we would be dangerous to try to speculate and say that means this or that or whatever. Well, Russia shows up, Persia, all these places show up, do we don't? Oh, well, yeah, and that, that could be for many reasons. The United States is not mentioned in the last days. There are some which we may get into, we, we will get into when we get to that part of Ezekiel, which talk about the merchants of Tarshish and the young eagles, the young lions. There are some that think that's America, and I'll show how that's a possibility. But even if it is us mentioned there in Ezekiel, it doesn't look good for us because all we do is stand and watch as they go by and just let it all happen. 
Um, but let's be honest, most powerful nation on the face of the earth right now, and we're not mentioned in the last days. Unless we are mentioned when it says all nations on the face of the earth will be becoming against Israel. Either way, it's not good for us. As you're going to see by the end of our study tonight, God's going to be bringing a judgment against all the nations because of how they treat Israel. And we get to keep moving to be able to help you see where we're going with this. If we don't have the time, but if you write down Daniel 12, verses 1 through 10, Daniel's given a vision of the last days. And he was told, seal up the words of the prophecy, Daniel. It won't be understood until the time of the end. A lot of things are making a whole lot more sense now, especially since 1948 and the nation of Israel became a nation again. And all these prophecies about Israel being chased out of the land are going to make a whole lot more sense now that they're back in the land. But at the same time, we still don't fully understand how it's all going to play out. That's why we're to be studying it, put it in our heart. That's why Revelation chapter 1 says, Blessed are those who hear the word of the prophecy of this book, and blessed are those who take to heart what's written in it, because the time is near. We need to be knowing what the Scripture says, alert to what's going on around us, and when the prophecy is fulfilled, we will go, that's what it was talking about. It's a danger to say it's going to happen this way, then this way, then this way, then this way, because that's going to get you in trouble, and many a preacher has done that. Even in the last few years with the 2015 and the blood moons and all that stuff, they wrote books and prophesied certain things. And guess what? They're not as followed as they used to be because now they've proven themselves to be human. All right. Now, some of you may be wondering why God is promising this judgment on Edom. Some of you may not. First off, I want you to understand that it goes all the way back to God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. We won't turn there. But if you remember, God made a nation out of Abraham. He says, you're going to be a mighty nation. I'm going to give you all this land. And then he made this promise. He said, all those who bless you, I'll bless. And all those who curse you, I will curse. We saw earlier in Amos that they were going to be judged because of how they treated their brother. Remember, Israel is Jacob. Jacob becomes Israel. Esau was his brother. And somehow, some way, the Edomites didn't treat the Israelites very well. I'm going to show you from Scripture a couple of the ways the scripture shows us that they didn't. Go to Numbers chapter 20. The book of Numbers chapter 20. Even though Edom, Esau, was a brother of Israel, when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt to bring them into the land promised to them, the Edomites would not let them pass through their land in the process. Listen to Numbers chapter 20, starting in verse 14. It says, Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother, Israel, you know all the hardship that we have met, how our fathers went down to Egypt, and we lived in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians dealt harshly with us and our fathers. And when we cried to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. And here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through field or vineyard or drink water from a well. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. But Edom said to him, You shall not pass through, uh, lest I come out with the sword against you. And the people of Israel said to him, We will go up by the highway. If we drink of your water and, and of my, life, my livestock, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. But he said, You shall not pass through. And Edom came out against them, with a large army and with a strong force, and thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory, so Israel turned away from him. His own brother, his descendants, came and said, Look, all we're asking is just to be able to pass through your land. We won't even drink anything. 
We'll just stay on the road. And even if for some reason someone does drink something, we'll pay for it. If our animals drink something, we'll pay for it. And what did the Edomites say? No. And they came out of the large army and chased them off. Keep this in mind, folks, because we're going somewhere as we close tonight. God pays attention to how his people are treated. You don't have to worry about defending yourself even as a child of God, folks. Do you remember when Paul went out and started to persecute the church? And Jesus shows up on that road to Damascus and knocks him off his horse. Remember what Jesus says? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting those people? No, he doesn't say my people even. He says me, like you said, Larry. Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Don't, don't miss it. Jesus called his disciples his friends. But after he rose from the dead, he tells the women, go tell my brothers. We become the family of God, children of God. That's why we receive an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, that's kept in heaven for us. Folks, I want you to understand, as a child of God, as a chosen people of God, he pays attention to how you're treated, and he won't forget. And he remembered that they went against their brother, as we saw in Amos, but there's more to it than that. Oh, by the way, where was this territory they're trying to go through? The Negev, the Negev, the Southland, the area of Edom. Also, another reason for judgment, never to, uh, to uh, nearer to Ezekiel's time. Another reason for judgment nearer to Ezekiel's time was that the fact that the, these same people that wouldn't let the Israelites through their land, let the Babylonians come through their land when the Babylonians came to attack Israel. When they knew that the Babylonians were coming to attack Israel, and Nebuchadnezzar was coming to attack Israel, those same descendants did this. Oh, you want to attack Israel, our brothers? Go right ahead. Have free passage. You know why? Because they wanted to get the land. Once Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians had wiped them all out and carried them all off captive, their thinking was, we'll go now live in that land. That jealousy had continued on. Well, don't just take my word for it. Go to Ezekiel chapter 35. Ezekiel chapter 35, look at verses 1 through 15. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Set your face against Mount Seir and prophesy against it. And say to it, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against you, Mount Seir. And I will stretch out my hand against you, and I will make you a desolation and a waste. I will lay your cities waste, and you shall become a desolation. And you shall know that I am the Lord. Because you cherished perpetual enmity, and gave over the people of Israel to the power of the sword, at the time of their calamity, at the time of their final punishment. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God, I will prepare you for blood, and blood shall pursue you. Because you did not hate bloodshed, therefore blood shall pursue you. I will make Mount Seir a waste and a desolation. I will cut off from it all who come and go. And I will fill its mountains with the slain. On your hills and in your valleys and in all your ravines, those slain with the sword shall fall. I will make you a perpetual desolation and your city shall not be inhabited. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Because you said these two nations and these two countries shall be mine. That's Israel and Judah, by the way, northern kingdom, southern kingdom. These two nations and these two countries shall be mine, and we will take possession of them, although the Lord was there. 
Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God, I will deal with you according to the anger and envy that you showed because of your hatred against them. And I will make myself known among them and I, when I judge you, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I have heard all the revilings that you uttered against the mountains of Israel, saying they are laid desolate, they are given to us to devour. You, and you magnified yourselves against me with your mouth and multiply your words against me. I heard it. Thus says the Lord God, while the whole earth rejoices, I will make you desolate. As you rejoiced over the inheritance of the house of Israel, behold, it was desolate. So I will deal with you. You shall be desolate, Mount Seir, and all Edom, all of it. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Oh, go to Obadiah. Where we left off in Obadiah's prophecy in verse 9, we're going to pick up in verse 10. Obadiah talks about this as well. By the way, does anybody ever thought about how in the world God could write about all this stuff before it happens? He's outside of time. That's the one thing the scripture says in the book of Isaiah over and over that proves that he is the true God. He's the only one that can tell you the end from the beginning. He says, go ahead, ask your other false gods what's going to happen tomorrow. They can't tell you. But God can. Obadiah, look at verses 10 through 18. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you. This is again against Edom. And you shall be cut off forever on the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem. You were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. Don't miss that. That's where we're going tonight. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually, and they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And though in the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them. There shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. So when is this going to happen, folks? In the day in which God judges all the nations. But when he's judging all the nations, he's told us over and over and over. I've given you seven, maybe eight passages. There's many, many more that talk about the fact that on that day when God judges all the nations, he's saving a special bit for the people of Edom because he's known what they've done to the people of Israel throughout all of time. God is keeping track of every little thing that's being done. Folks, you don't have to sit around and say, well, God, is God paying attention to what's going on? He knows. What I want to say to you, though, is don't be in that group that is against any of his people. The book of Romans in chapter 14 says, who are you to judge the servant of another? You know, the Bible talks about how Christians treat each other. 
But when we become children of God, he becomes Jim Johnson's Lord, not you. Yet we as in the church spend so much time judging how people are supposed to, they think should be dressed or how they're supposed to be acting or whether they're sitting in your seat or in your parking space and all this silly, silly stuff. When the Bible says God's keeping track, he knows those who are his, he knows who's treating who what, and he's keeping track of every little thing. For those of us who are in Christ, you won't lose salvation because of these petty things that we get sucked into. But the Bible says when that day when he rewards us for whatever we've done in the body, whether good or worthless, at the judgment seat of Christ, many will suffer loss for eternity because even though you are saved and you are going to heaven, you did not treat your brothers in the way that brought him glory. And because of that, much of the reward that could have been yours for eternity is now lost. Have you ever seen some of the stories in the movies about a rich man who dies and then all the family gathers in with the lawyer to find out what they're going to get? And then the guy says, hey, I know how well you were treating your brothers and sisters. You get nothing or you get very little. Have you ever seen those type of movies? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And so, folks, as I had a chance to preach to the men at Men in Motion today, from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and following, where Peter's writing to the Jews who were scattered, the Christians who were scattered because of their faith in Jesus Christ, Christians who, because of the trial they were going through because of their faith, who had lost their homes and lost their families and lost their possessions and lost their jobs and had been scattered and their whole world was turned upside down. Peter says, writing to the elect of the dispersion. You know what he says to those people? In verse 3, he says, praise God. He said, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation. In this you greatly rejoice, though for now you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, but these trials have come to prove your faith genuine and result in praise and glory and when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed. And even though you don't see him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you, you believe in him and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy because you are obtaining the goal of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. Don't miss what Peter said to these people who had lost homes and family and jobs, possessions. Their whole world was turned upside down. They probably had to run with whatever little they had as they were persecuted and chased out because of their faith. He said, put your focus where it belongs. You have been given an inheritance that will never be taken away from you. And if necessary, some of you are going through trials. And folks, when I found out that I had cancer, my wife will tell you, I have not changed. And to be honest, I told her, and we both looked at each other and said, we kind of saw this coming. Not because we see God as this horrible person that's going to give you cancer, but years ago, I have lived such a blessed life. I've experienced so many blessings of God in our family as well. We haven't dealt with a whole lot of loss or suffering. We've gone through some stuff, but for the most part, we really haven't. I remember years ago saying, Lord, I trust you so much if you choose to give me cancer so that I can live for you with my faith to give you glory, I will take it. And he took me up on it. Oh, actually, he didn't. He put that in my heart years ago because he had already planned this for my life years ago. Remember all the days ordained for me were written in his book before one of them came to be? He prepared my heart before the day it came. 
You ever heard the story about how tradition shows us that Peter was crucified upside down? Because when he was put to death, he did not want to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. A lot of you may not realize this. That wasn't a snap moment, snap decision at that moment. You see, 25 years earlier, Jesus had met with Peter after he rose from the dead. And he met with him on that shore. And he says, here's how you're going to die. You're going to stretch out your hands. When you were young, you went wherever you wanted and you dressed yourself. But when you're old, you're going to be led by other people, and you're going to stretch out your hands. And Jesus described to Peter crucifixion. Peter knew that he was going to be crucified 25 years before it actually happened. So by the time that they came to put him to death and they were going to crucify him, he had said to them, I've been thinking about this for a while. I don't want to be crucified in the same manner as my Lord crucified me upside down. Folks, I don't know what God's plan is for me with this cancer, but I can tell you this much. He's prepared my heart for it. I'm ready. Didn't catch me by surprise. It hadn't caught him by surprise. And whatever his plan is, I'm actually looking for the fullness of my salvation. You see, I was saved in 1973, but I'm still being saved. And one day, I'm going to obtain salvation when I see Jesus. Well, Jim, how do you know you got it? Oh, he's given me his spirit as a guarantee. His spirit testifies with my spirit that I'm his child. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. I don't have any questions, but my salvation isn't complete until I get there. And so I say to you, as you live in this life, some of you may have to suffer griefs and trials. They're going to show whether or not you really got salvation. As things get crazier and crazier in this world, I love it. You know why? It's going to be harder and harder for people to fake Christianity. what about you? Are you storing up reward in heaven where it can never be lost? Are you storing up treasure where the market won't take it away? Or are you, I've heard too many Christians say, I'm saved. I'm just glad I'm saved. Well, the Bible doesn't say you're just saved. The Bible says you were saved. You're being saved. And one day you will be saved. If you're someone that says, I'm just glad I'm saved. Well, what's going on in your sanctification process? Are you being saved? And will you receive salvation? Because the Bible says Jesus, when he comes, will bring salvation with him. Well, how's he bringing it if you already got it? Don't be one of those Christians that says, I'm already saved. I'm good. Oh, no. You've been saved if you trusted Christ and he gave you his spirit. But now he's conforming you into his image. And one day you will receive the fullness of your salvation. You're obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is what? The salvation of our souls. Hopefully your faith isn't so you'll have a better marriage. Hopefully your faith is in Christ so that you'll get the good job. Hopefully your faith is in, in Christ is because this isn't the whole thing. There's a world that is to come. And God is one day going to settle all accounts. For believers at the judgment seat of Christ, they'll be rewarded for eternity or a lose reward for eternity according to what they've done since salvation in the body and how we've treated each other. And on top of that, He's keeping track of how every nation and individuals in the nation are treating Israel. Let me close with this one passage. Go to Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1, look at verses 1 through 5. Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. 
I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I'll tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. You see that? Even though he's been judging Edom throughout their history because of their wickedness, even if they rebuild, ultimately he's going to wipe them all out. And in chapter 3 of Malachi, look at verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I'll spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. By the way, do you know how you serve God? You trust God. I've had the privilege of not just teaching you the book of Ezekiel in these weeks and months. At the same time in my radio program, I've been going through verse by verse in the book of Jeremiah. And where I just wrote down to be recorded sometime this week or next, some radio programs for the first of weeks of June. I'm in the section of Jeremiah chapter 39 where the nation of Israel is, is having their final judgment. Nebuchadnezzar is coming and wiping them all out in the third wave and taking them to Babylon. And Jeremiah himself is carried in chains. And as he's on his way to Babylon, they stop at this place called Riblah. And Nebuchadnezzar sends word through his chiefs to Jeremiah the prophet. And he says, I've heard what you've been saying about how your God was going to bring this judgment because of their sin. And because you spoke what was true, they released the chains from Jeremiah's hands and said, look, here's some food, here's some water. You get to choose. You can come with us and live in Babylon free and we'll take care of you. Or you can go back and live with the poor people that are left in the land of Israel. And you choose what you want to do. And he chose to go live with the people of Israel. But don't miss this. In the midst of everybody being taken off in chains, God took care of Jeremiah because Jeremiah had been faithful to him. And then the very next verses, there's a young man called Ebed-Melech, who was an Ethiopian eunuch, who served under Zedekiah in the temple. Oh, earlier when Jeremiah was being treated badly by the nation of Israel and they didn't like his prophecies, they threw him into this empty well and he sunk down in the mud and they left him there to die. But this eunuch, this Ethiopian who had served in the temple there, I'm sorry, served in the court of Zedekiah, he heard what had happened to Jeremiah. And I know that as he been, Jeremiah had been preaching to Zedekiah, the word of the Lord, Ebed-Melech was listening. And Ebed-Melech went and grabbed some men. And they tied together clothing and ropes and lowered them down into the well and released Jeremiah from where he had been left to die. And in that time that the judgment was coming, God sent word to Ebed-Melech and said, because you trusted in me when everybody else is taking away in judgment, I'm going to spare you. What happened to Rahab and her family when the judgment came on Jericho? They were spared. Oh, what about Daniel, though, Jim? He was taken, and Ezekiel, and, and Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, weren't they? Yes, but what happened? Even in them being taken captive, because they trusted in the Lord, he took care of them. Folks, listen to me. Put your confidence in these days in the Lord, and he will take you 
through. Either through it, he'll provide, or he'll spare you of it and provide. I don't know which way it's going to go for me. But I can tell you this much. As long as I trust in him, I'm good. I'm good. And pray for the people of Israel. Because one day, he's going to purify them in the process. They will be elevated above all nations. And all the other nations that he's been keeping track of what they've been doing to Israel will get theirs. You don't want to be in that group. Jeff, you were starting to say something? I thought you were stretching. Folks, I love you. We won't have Bible study next week, but we will the week after that. We'll, We'll love you. See you then.